Hey everybody, Chris here. You may know us these days as the Personal Injury Mastermind, but you've discovered our roots when we first started as the Rankings Podcast. I'm glad you're here. Over the years and hundreds of episodes, we've expanded our reach while staying true to our mission. We help you and your firm dominate the competition with insights from some of the best in the legal industry. You may notice that these older episodes sound a bit different. That's because we also embrace change and growth. I hope you enjoy this episode from the vaults and listen to a few of our newer episodes while you're at it. Thanks for being here. Let's begin. Welcome to the Rankings Podcast, where we feature top founders, entrepreneurs, and elite personal injury attorneys and share their inspiring stories. Now, let's get started with the show. Chris Dreyer here, president and founder of Rankings.io, where we help elite personal injury attorneys dominate first page rankings. You're listening to the Rankings Podcast, where I feature innovative business owners and, of course, elite personal injury attorneys. I'm excited to have David Bronze on the show today. Dave is the founded, founding partner of Bronze Law, a personal injury law firm with offices in Gwinnett and Fulton County, Georgia. He began his legal career as an insurance defense attorney, a role that taught him how insurance companies evaluate and process claims. However, David did not start his professional life as an attorney, but rather as a software engineer. Today, he puts those skills to good use in the legal field, implementing innovative technology to better and more efficiently run his firm. He is the recipient of many awards and accomplishments, including being named both a super lawyer and top 100 trial lawyer. David, welcome to the show. Hey, Chris. Thanks for having me aboard. I'm glad to be here. I'm super excited. Yeah, I'm excited too. So let's kick things off. So how did you get started with the firm? Where did the idea come from? Yeah. Um, so, you know, like, like you said, I didn't start in law school. I didn't go to law school until 31. I had this whole prior to the career and I just quite frankly wanted a, a midlife change. Uh, I was just tired of sitting in front of a monitor all day, even though I still do the same thing here, just looking at different stuff. Um, so I actually went to law school for real estate of all things. I was making a ton of money in tech. I was starting to invest in real estate and I was thinking, hey, if I can do these deals and learn the playmakers, I could get into real estate as a second business. But when I got into law school, I just realized how boring law, uh, real estate is. I mean, it's just copying and pasting contracts all day. Um, so I started kind of just interviewing other attorneys, took them out to lunch. What do you like? Which don't you like? And I just settled on personal injury. Um, I also had my family up in Baltimore, Maryland, my uncle's side, my mom's side, we're all personal injury lawyers. So I was around it, never quite understood it, but just kind of saw them talking, the success they had, the stories they had, and, and things like that. So it was kind of a career change, followed by honing in on what area of law I wanted to practice. That, that's awesome. And that's such a different, you know, journey. Typically, it's just go to college, you go right into law school. And so you've got this rounded experience of being a, a business owner, you know, being into real estate. You know, there's all, all types of complexities there and, and it's very saturated and competitive, just like law. So, you know, what, what were those early days of your, of your firm and, and like, what, what was it like? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my, my firm, when I opened my firm, I did insurance defense. I was in a couple large firms. The first firm had like over 80 lawyers, three floors and a big building down in uh, downtown Atlanta. Then I went to a smaller firm. So when I left that to start my own shop, it was literally startup mode. I'm now sitting in a spare bedroom with an Ikea table, a laptop, and a cell phone. Um, and that was it. And I ran everything that way. If I had any clients, I'd put on a suit and go meet in a Starbucks. And then I kind of scaled it up from there to use virtual space. But it was literally, you know, tech startup out of a spare bedroom. 
Uh, that's kind of the beauty of professional services. You don't need inventory, you don't need spaces, um, all that kind of build out. It's just literally a, a phone and a computer. Yeah, so, so what were those, you know, the big turning points? At the beginning, you're hustling, you're, you know, you're going all in, you get a lead, you're going all in, you're going to their door <laughs> to get that contract to talk to them. What was, what was that transition, the turning point where you could start in, you know, investing a ton and building out your marketing team right. and, and grow your firm? Yeah, I mean, it was very kind of guerrilla marketing beginning. Um, and I'll be honest with you, there was no big pivot. Um, there was no, I've never had a big multi-million dollar case like some of my friends. It just allows them to kind of hit that next gear and drop stupid money into something. For me, it was just a very slow, slow grind. Um, it was really just about focus. And this is one of the tricks I learned um, just kind of watching myself work is for me, what works best is weekly goals. When I first started, I had monthly goals, but I found that I wasn't looking at them enough. I was only looking at them at the beginning of the month and the end of the month. And I'd forget about them for those two, three weeks in between. So it was really about focusing on weekly goals. And it was essentially, Hey, the first week, uh, the first year, I want to get two cases a week. How hard is that? Can't be that hard. You know, go out, call on chiropractors, doctors, do what I had to do. Um, and I hit that goal. And so the next year I was like, okay, three a week. And then the following year was four a week. And then it was five a week. And so just by telling myself, Hey, I can get one more case a week. That's not hard. It's just effort and activity. Um, and that's what I did. So there was really no, um, it was a very slow, steady burn, um, that's gotten me to where I am and I'm in year seven now. So, um, you know, we've taken it from this, the, the bedroom startup to here, but again, there was no huge case that blew it up, no war chest. It was literally starting with, uh, you know, $13,000 on a credit card, my back against the wall. I had no choice but to go out there and, and be successful and make it work. Let's talk a little bit about those goals. So, so were those like leading indicator type goals that helped? Were they predictive or were they just stuff right. to keep you accountable and hungry? What, what were a little bit about those? Yeah, goals? love goals, love goals. So the two big ones I focused on early on were number of cases, which is kind of top of the funnel, bringing it in. And then the, the bottom of the funnel was a revenue goal. Um, and so basically in personal injury, if you think about it, there's two ways for lawyers to make more money. It's more cases or make each case worth more. Um, so we focus on that. If we get the cases in the top of the funnel, we watch our average case fee. Um, and, you know, when we first started, I don't mind sharing this with people, but when we first started, the average case fee was about two grand. Um, we've, we've developed through the way we manage our cases up to about 10 grand. Um, and that was focusing that goal of making each case worth more by working it. Um, so those were kind of the, the revenue goals to build it. Um, the other goals I had were uh, talking to clients, which I'm sure we'll talk about, but client service is huge at my firm. Um, and so one of the things we would do, and we set this all up in our case management system, but I'd run reports to make sure I was talking to clients and still to this day, at least once every three weeks. Um, and so I track, um, you know, number of clients that I've called, the number that I'm late on, what's that percentage? Am I shooting a 90% or higher? Just like in, you know, elementary school, I want to keep it A average. Um, but, you know, internally, that, that's initially where the goals. Now that I've got staff, we've got a ton of goals. Um, we measure everything from their late phone calls to the number of pieces of mail they process a day to their total talk time on the phone. And again, the more we kind of focus on the work and be self-aware, it just kind of drives itself. I mean, you are what you think and what you focus on. And so 
I can't stress enough how I didn't really appreciate goals until I was in my own business. Um, but now it's everything. And I'll give you, this is kind of my, my fun hack. Um, so our IT group, um, the way we're set up is we got to change our computer login every 30 days just for security reasons. And so my password is always a goal. And so it forces me to type in that goal every time I want to unlock my computer. So like one was, you know, I want to weigh 220 pounds. I want to lose weight. Obviously, I'm not there yet. But that was, you know, for one 30-day increment, the goal was lose weight. Um, the other one was, you know, I want to hit X dollars per year revenue. So it'd be like, you know, X dollars in 2020. Um, and so that little hack's been really fun. And it just keeps me, again, top of mind, consistently thinking about a goal every time I kind of clock in to go to work. That so I'm gonna steal that. I'm telling you right now. <laughs> yeah. Every day when I type in my pin or this, it, yeah, and you know you can use LastPass to change it. So there's sort of things like that to protect from the rest of your team seeing your internal go goal. The other thing I wanted to unpack here was something you mentioned about case value. So I know most people can't see me, but you've let's say you got this Y and X axis where the Y is your brand. And the stronger your brand gets, the more you can attract these serious injury cases from your reputation of doing good work. And you talk about, you know, really taking care of your customers so that they turn into these evangelists with, you know, I'm sure we're going to talk about your case management software and, and maybe how you utilize that for, for customer service. And just all of that goes into maximizing client value and turning those into a referral mechanism in the future. So that, that's amazing. I am going to steal the, the password goal there. <laughs> it's like an affirmation that you don't have to say, but you have to type in. Right. So you right, really yeah. like it. Have fun with it. It's a, no, it's a, it's a good one. Is, I can't stress the goals enough. It, it is huge. And the more you think about them, you have to interact with them. Um, just like in school, the more you interact with your notes, the better you're going to do on the test. It's just forcing these little mind hacks to kind of be able to interact with your goals and keep them in your head as much as possible. That's great. So what was a big pitfall or mistake that you had to learn early on? Maybe it was hiring or a partnership or marketing. What were, what was the yeah. mistake? Yeah, there's a lot, right? I mean, you know, running a business is not, you know, at some point we're lawyers, but we're also entrepreneurs. Um, so we're business owners and you know, you're going to make mistakes. Uh, you, you, you can't overthink stuff. You just need to get in there. And, you know, I tell myself, uh, and this is kind of the, you know, the Facebook motto is done. Perfect is the enemy of done. Right. So you just want to get in there and do stuff and take action. And if you're going to fail, fail forward. You know, you're going to fall, fall forward, keep the forward momentum going, learn, get yourself back up. Um, you know, I had a couple big ones, um, kind of unlike the pivot where it was a slow grind. There were a couple kind of big moments in my firm. Um, one was when I scaled it to be just not myself, but I started hiring people. Uh, I was up to a case manager and the case manager had two assistants and we were maxed out I and mean, we were maxed out. But I didn't want to spend any more money on payroll and I think we had probably at the time, we were probably running about 160 to 180 files between the four of us. And the case manager, I didn't catch it, was burned out. Um, and so she was going to quit. And I learned all this after the fact. And so she called her two assistants who she became friends with and said, hey, I'm going to quit tomorrow. And they said, well, hey, if you're not working, we don't want to work either. And so they all came in and dropped their resignation on the same day. And so basically, I was back to square one. Um, I mean, just, you know, wanted to throw up. I was like, oh my God. Um, so I gathered myself. I was like, you know, David, you've done this before. Um, you know, start back. It's, it's just work and effort and hustle and get back into it. 
And so we did, you know, I, I, I grounded out. I called my wife. She came in, uh, started running records again for me. Um, but the lesson learned was overhire. Like I, I want to hire to the bench and I've got every position right now in my office where I've got excess capacity. And, and now that I can afford the payroll, um, you know, it's by design. If someone leaves, we're going to absorb that. We have plenty of time to go find a great candidate. There's no sense of urgency. Um, so that gives me that buffer of not being lean and having something just blow up like that. It also helps our client service level, right? So now we have, we have paralegals. Like, for example, our paralegals run about 80 files max. That's low. Like, most law firms are running 100-something. Again, we've got that bandwidth. I could take them up there, but I don't want to because stuff gets missed. They're running too lean on the files. So now we're deep in the files. And because we kind of are paying that, that, that premium for the staffing, which is the product, really the people are the product, right? We're now creating better cases, better case values, um, and allows me to sleep at night knowing if someone leaves, you know, I'm not going to lose everything and be back to square one again. Um, I'm Let, trying to get the other thing. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, I was going to say let's let's talk a little bit about that situation here. So you mentioned earlier you're you're very goal conscious, very focused on the numbers. So are there now goals? Are there goals or metrics that you track, say forecasting or capacity? You mentioned the number of files. Are those the things that you look at for for staffing? We, we do. We do. So what we do is um, we've got a case management system that we we do some reporting out of that, but we also have hooked in Excel. And this kind of gets a little techie back in my tech background, but we basically use an ODBC connector to create dashboards in Excel that plug right into case management. So what we're looking at is the total number of cases handled, the number of clients that are treating, meaning they're in medical care, the number that are released. Uh, so we have stages. As the case goes through the firm, we measure how many they have in each stage and where stuff is stuck. So like, for example, one of the goals in the firm is a demand package needs to be written within 10 business days of the last medical record being received. We're not going to let a file sit. Um, it's not good for the client. It's not good for the firm. It's not good for anybody. We want to move files. And so if a case, if a case is sitting for more than 10 days without a demand out, it hits a dashboard. And then I'm, Hey, I go to the paralegal. What's going on with this? You know, what do we need? We need help from, and then she, you know, she won't get another case until she fixes that problem. Um, so the two big stuck points that we look at kind of in our flow are the demands going out and then also um, cases and negotiations. And that's me. I mean, I negotiate all the cases as a lawyer. I'm the only one allowed to do that. And so my goal is I don't want cases stuck in negotiations for more than two weeks. Um, if I can't get a case resolved or it's trying to make a decision, hey, are we going to file suit? Or are we going to, you know, what are we going to do with this? Um, and that keeps me moving on negotiations instead of setting up, letting stuff hang out there. Um, and that, again, that could be another stick point. So we take all that, we measure average time on desk, right? So we know the average time on desk in my firm is 8.2 months. So from the time we sign somebody to the time we close a case, that's about 8.2 months, which is fast. It's very fast. And that kind of pace and precision is what the brand has developed into, not from the client perspective, because they, you know, they don't have anything to compare it to. But if you look at the vendors we deal with, like, um, you know, the doctor, the medical doctors, the lean companies, all these places, they know Braun's law is moving fast. Um, and that gets us the referrals from those medical practices because that's what they see as quality legal services is not really the result, but how we're interacting and how fast we're moving and with precision we're moving with. One, one of the things you mentioned there was, you know, the bottlenecks 
So by setting it up like this, you can see where the bottlenecks occur and you can set whip limits there to look at them. And, and it's, I can't think of the name of the book. I think it's the, the goal. I can't think of the author's name, but but the author there would be proud because you're talking about throughput. You can, your 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 throughput's improving when you can see these battle and bottlenecks for efficiency, and it just makes you more efficient, quicker. It helps with those referrals. So I I think that's genius in and looking at those stages to identify those situations. And I'll, and I'll tell you, this is something that I see a lot of law firms making mistakes on is they. You know, one of the things I struggled with when I was building the firm, when I got to the point where I had to delegate, right? Like I had, I wasn't running the file by myself. I had paralegals, receptionists. We've got a records custodian now that does all the records work. Is how do I delegate but still have a sense of control? Because I'm a control freak. I mean, I, I want to know, measure everything. And so those goals and those KPIs and those dashboards are what will effectively allow me to delegate but still keep a pulse on things. I mean, I'm, I'm not touching the file and doing everything, but I have this insight, just, just this dashboard into everything where I've got just the rhythm and the pulse of not only the firm, but every case. Um, and I think that's been strategic in, ter- in terms of how we've developed internally operations to perform the way we have. So if you're sitting on a desert island, you can, you can go pull up the dashboard and, and still have an idea, that top level view, of what's going on with the firm. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I'll tell you, you know, interesting. I mean, we're sitting here talking in the, in the middle, middle of the, the COVID thing, right? So um, all my team are at home. I'm the only one in the office today. Uh, they're all working remotely. That wasn't a big deal because we built the ground up to be that way with voice over IP phones, cloud services, things like that. But they're all working from home, but I know they're productive, right? Because I've got, I'm, I'm thinking I'm paying them 40 hours. They work in 40 hours a week. It's no, I've got all these dashboards. I can see the inbound, outbound calls, pieces of mail they're handling, whether they're late on phone calls. So, I mean, we've done really well. And I, I think I haven't seen anything drop at all. And I'm, now I'm thinking, why do I need all this office space? Why do I need to make everyone remote and kind of, you know, run it that way and save a bunch of lease? Yeah, I, things are going to change. There's going to definitely going to be a lot less of the of the office space. I think post, post-COVID, you know, everyone's getting, you know, Zoom, video conferencing. There's better technology, Slack. There's all types of internal software. Let's talk about, you talked about a challenge that you overcome with the, the staffing situation and, and what you learned there, but what was a, a proudest moment, a moment you look back on and you're just especially proud of a big success? Um, I mean, it's just where I am. Like I said, there's really no big one. Um, there isn't. I, I don't like complacency, um, number one. So, um, but there's not, I, I think it's just, I'm proud of what we built. Um, you know, there's a lot of smart lawyers out there that could be phenomenal in the courtroom, phenomenal trial lawyers, but their office and their operations are just a mess. Turnover, um, staff isn't fully engaged, uh, you know, there's no sense of empathy with the clients. And so I tend to be more of an operations guy. Um, you know, at some point we're all businessmen with bar cards is one of my sayings. Um, and so we got to treat it like that. And, and so that's kind of what I'm proud of is when people come in and see the office and interact with us. We're, and I know everyone says they're different, but I, I think we are. I, I just think the way we have built this, maybe from my tech background and seeing how corporate America works versus traditional law firm, it's just a different animal altogether. Um, and looking back over seven years when I came from nothing, literally nothing, had $13,000 on a credit card, that's all we had to live on, um, to where we are now, it's just, that's probably my proudest moment, it's just how far I've come in the process. 
it's incredible. And now that you, you have all this data and everything you can see, you can make, you know, smarter decisions on where you want to take the practice and, and identify those, you know, if someone left you now, like you said, you have the processes in place, you have the team that can step in and take over the transparency that you built with the software. Let, let's talk about, uh, you know, how you've developed and, and, and kind of your journey. What, what are a few of your favorite business books? Oh, wow. So uh, first I will tell you that that's, a, that's my favorite question because I don't read a lot of law books. I and mean, I read like, um, you know, the, the current opinions that are coming out just to stay current on the law. But you're not going to see me sitting around with a legal treatise like in law school anymore. Um, so everything I've read has been from different verticals. Um, I'm a huge fan of sales books. I just think sales is a fundamental skill for life. Um, you know, and sales is really both the technique and the mindset. So it kind of combines both of what you need to kind of be successful. Um, probably the two books that I credit to my success the most would be um, As a Man Thinketh, which is a really old, old book. Um, and I can't remember the author. It's like one of those Dale Carnegie type books. Um, and the other one is by a guy named uh, Grant Cardone down in Florida called 10X. Um, and so when I was starting out of my bedroom, trying to stay motivated and deal with all this competition out there. I was actually going for daily walks and I had both books on audible. And when I listened to both those books, I kind of had this synthesis where I took the ideas from both and something just clicked. Um, you know, as a man thinketh was kind of a, you know, if you think about it, you'll create it into existence. Um, you know, create, don't compete is one of my sayings to deal with all the competition in the marketplace. And then Grant Cardone, if you ever follow him, you just know it's all about massive action. He's like, just take action, take action, take 10 times what everyone else is doing, it'll work out. Um, so those are talking about two, the, like the core, probably the book that gave me the best insight into operations and how to structure stuff is Scaling Up, um, which is the kind of part of the Rockefeller Habit series, um, where I could just see, okay, this is how you really do it. Like the E-Myth, which everyone reads, was, was like that, but it wasn't detailed. It was real high level stuff. I could really see in scaling up, like, man, this is how people go from nothing, you know, to being on the shark tank, to blowing it up to, you know, multi-million dollars. Um, so that kind of led me into like, okay, we got to have meetings and agendas and a daily pulse. Um, so I think that book's probably the most success, uh, the most contribution to kind of our operations portion of the firm. So I haven't read the As a Man Think of. I've read 10X and I've read the Scaling Up. 10X is definitely, Grant Cardone's book is not a book that you read before going to bed. I'll say that. Did you read it or did you do the Audible? Oh, I did, I did the Audible. Because oh, yeah. Yeah. his commentary is priceless. I mean, to have him like <laughs> ad-libbing through it, it's just phenomenal. Yeah, he'll get you fired up. And Scaling Up, what I was going to say, that's a great book too. But I would say that one's also not an Audible. I would say that one's not an Audible book. That's, that's a reader. It's got the different charts and things in there that really provide more value. Th those are great books. I Grant Cardone, I mean, love him or hate him, this guy's taking action. Right. Look at his Instagram profile. He's just, he's incredible. What about, you know, with your software engineering background, and we talked a lot about these dashboards and your, right. uh, that side, what, what's uh, some of your favorite software that you use to run your, your firm? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, our favorite software is our case management system. And there's a ton of them out there. Um, you know, we took one that also had, it's more insurance defense oriented. Um, but the reason I bought it was because it was completely customizable. I could go and add data fields, change screens. It had this workflow engine. So I could use my tech background and say, hey, I want to take this kind of infrastructure and customize it to go do this. 
Um, obviously, that's not for everybody because when I started out, I had a lot of time on my hands. I could build it. Now I've got a vendor that I found uh, that I outsourced it all to saying, hey, I want this report. I want this done. But, you know, one of my philosophies is every business, I don't care whether you're retail, a restaurant, a law firm, an accounting firm, you are a tech firm. I mean, this is the year 2020. Everybody's a tech firm, whether you like it or not. And the more you use tech, the more you leverage it. Again, you're going to have that pace and precision. Um, so the case management system, we couldn't live without. We're a paperless office. You come in here, it looks like a day trader's office, right? There's dual monitors, no paper, headset, phone, that's it. Um, and then the other one's just good old Excel. I mean, I've used Excel since day one. Um, we've kind of built it to be a lot more, but I used to track my daily leads, my phone calls, all of that in Excel. And I actually make all my paralegals and everyone from receptionist on go take basic and advanced Excel. Um, I, think it's, I think everyone needs to have it on their resume. I don't care what you're doing. It's, it's a valuable skill set. And it also allows you to kind of think differently. The way you work Excel kind of trains you more of an engineering mind of, okay, this cell and this cell relate and things like that. So I think Excel and our case management system are kind of the core of what we're doing here. So I wasn't going to ask this question, but, but you've brought up a lot of processized type questions and, yeah. and data in Excel. So do you put your team through a personality assessment, like a disk assessment or predictive index or Colby yeah. to kind of evaluate these processized mindsets? I used to, I used to, um, like back when I, when I lost everybody on that fateful day, when everyone walked out the door at the same time, um, I said that was on me, right? I was like, that's on me. That's bad leadership, bad management. I can't fault them. What do I need to do differently? So I spent the next couple of months just studying management. I mean, I had no management experience. I was always working for somebody else being told what to do. So that I had to go teach myself. Um, and then I also taught myself how to hire people. Um, I use a process called top grading, um, which is like a really well-defined for executives. And I, I kind of pulled from that and tweaked some things. I did it initially, but I, I don't want to say I didn't believe it, but I just didn't think it was all that. Um, so I used to spend the money on it, um, but the interviewing process, that's intense and things like that. Um, but I just haven't gone there because what I did is I had, once I had everyone hired, I had a consultant come in and give the personality test. It's kind of a workshop. And when I was reading them, I'm like, okay, well, I can see where that's right, but that's not. Um, so I could see a little disconnect after having worked with a person that it's not 100%. I mean, it's a data point, right? It's a data point, but I, I wouldn't rely on that. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. We put everybody through disc, but I, I read some of them. I'm like, that's just off. That's yeah. just not who that person is. But, but I, I do find it helpful. And it's another data point. You know, let, let's, let's talk about mentors. Who are some of your mentors and their piece of advice for you? Yeah. Their yeah best you know, you know, you've kind of heard me infer this throughout the, the talk together, but, but really my style is I'm kind of a self learner. Um, even though I'm an extrovert at the office, I'm an introvert at the house. And so I have kind of, my mentors have been books and online personalities and reading. Um, that's really where I get it all from is just following somebody, kind of deconstructing what they're doing or looking at the success they've had and said, I want to be like that person, how they get there, what are they doing, what are they doing differently than me? Um, so it's really been a combination of just books and now with everyone being online with like you're doing podcasts, I mean, all I, you know, like your podcast, when you listen to this, all you need is that one nugget, right? That one idea from our talk today, you're like, oh my God, that's, you know, I spent a half hour, but I got this one idea that's going to, you know, create this much value 
in my firm or in my life. Um, so I've done that. In terms of real, I mean, from afar, my uncle was a successful personal injury lawyer um, up in Maryland. So I saw his trajectory from kind of a, a DA when he flipped sides to civil and, and that. I mean, my family wasn't. We were Baltimore, blue collar, poor. Um, and then I had a buddy in law school, a buddy in law school that was much younger than me. I was 31. He was 22. I had you know, no idea why we were hanging out. Um, but the guy was just laser focused. His name's Dan Castro. I'll give him a shout out. Great guy. Took the time to basically say, hey, this is how I built my firm. Um, here's how you need to do it. And he'd given that speech to a ton of people before. Um, and I think he was willing to kind of open up the, the, the curtain and show everything because he realized, like we all do, that 95% of the people that he's talking to aren't going to go implement it. Right. It just it's like you leave the seminar, you're all jazzed up. And then, you know, two weeks later, it's all gone. Um, but I literally said, I'm going to follow everything you're doing. I've seen the success you've had. And we still talk to this day. And lo and behold, my firm through each year, because we compare KPIs each year, he's like five years ahead of me. We're just on the exact same path. Um, so it's, it's scary, kind of the, the runway and how it just played out the exact same way as his as his success. Yeah, and talking to him helps you elevate. You get to see, like, what, what's the saying? You, you don't know what you don't know. So you'll right. see things that he's doing. He'll see things that you're doing. So you both are elevating each other. And that, that's really exciting. So, you know, today, where you're at today with the firm, what are your high value activities? What are the actions that you take that drive the most impact for the firm? Yep. Uh, great question. So um, the, the, the first one is always client contact. Um, you know, me talking to the clients is a differentiator in the market. Um, most personal injury firms, especially the successful ones, whether you're a boutique that's doing decent volume or the real high volume TV guys, um, the clients are not talking to lawyers. They, they not even at sign up. I mean, maybe here's the offer. Do you want to take it? And that's it. Um, so by me still contacting the clients the way I have been, the way I've been developing rapport with them and building the relationships, that's what's throwing off the client referrals. Um, and, you know, we are, I looked this up before getting on the show with you today, um, year to date, 44% of our cases are coming from client referrals. That's huge. They're better quality cases. Um, they're easier to sign up because you've already been vouched for. And they don't cost anything. I mean, it just, it just costs the service of the prior case. I'm not out there having to spend 100000 in TV to acquire this new client. Um, so I think, I think a lot of people don't focus on that low hanging fruit, which is the clients you have. Um, and then we market, um, to them constantly, uh, 26, 28 touch points a year, even if they're, even when they're not clients anymore. Um, so that's the goal. The goal is to get the client referrals up to 60%. Um, and that's just going to momentum. Again, it's a slow burn. Um, and then the other thing would really just be, uh, if I had to talk about it, it would be, Marketing and selling. I mean, just, you know, keeping the biggest fear of every personal injury lawyer is the phone's not going to ring with that next case the next day. Um, so just kind of continuing to drive the marketing, uh, both with rankings IO, um, you know, our, our conference calls, our strategy, how we're doing stuff, um, as well as just being attuned in the marketplace. I mean, that's, that's what's going to keep the phone ringing. Yeah. And the, you know, the actions that you're taking now are going to pay off in the future. So that 28, 29 touch points that you're doing, that, that multiple touch cadence that keeps you top of mind because you can't predict when they're going to get in a car accident. But if you're top of mind, it lends itself to more referrals. They may have a family member that gets injured and they automatically, you're the person that comes to mind because of how 
well you treated them and you were empathetic. You had that EQ and you, you shared their experience. So I just think those are tremendously valuable and that is a differentiator. I, I like to think of it as warmth and competence. You have to do good work. Right. That's one component, but the warmth component, when you have both of those, it just really lends itself to a, just a yeah. well and, and I bet, Chris, you've seen kind of with, with your clients, I mean, during this kind of crisis, you have two personalities, right? You have the ones that are leaning into it. Um, like you and I have talked about that I am. I'm like, hey, this is an opportunity. Let's, let's mm-hmm. lean into it. Um, it's not going to pay anything now, but a year from now, the, the garden will have been planted and it'll be growing. And there's people that are pulling back right? They're pulling back. Yeah. They're kind of going defense mode. And the only way you should go in defense mode is to attack again. Um, Absolutely. So that, and it's hard with PI too, right? Because it's not an immediate sale, right? You get that, you book that case, but you're not going to see the return on that for a year. Um, and the more you do it, the more confident you kind of get in that rhythm. But at first it was scary. I mean, it was real scary to kind of put it all out there and I have the phone ring. Like, Oh my God, what am I, what am I doing? Um, you know, that's, the TV guys, it's what's interesting with them is they do all this like TV spending um, and it's not really direct response. Like to, to your point, you have a family member, they're not thinking PI lawyer until they're hurt, right? It's like a plumber. Right. You're not thinking about a plumber until you walk in the basement and the pipes, you know, gushing water all over the place. Um, and so the TV guys, they spend this ton of money just trying to be in front of you all the time. So when you do have that thought, they're on the TV screen, right? I can't afford to play there. I can't, not in the Atlanta market where it's just hugely competitive. And so like with your firm, what we do is more direct response, right? When they type in the keywords, that's where we, that's where we can play. That's where we can play through like your, you know, what you do for us, my analytics. Um, it allows us to be with a scalpel in there, just really working and playing with that type. And so it's also two different mindsets. The TV guys, you think about it, they're putting out, millions of dollars a month in Atlanta. I mean, they're literally spending over a million a month on TV and they hope the phone rings. Well, I mean, God, are those guys sleeping right now? I mean, it's COVID. Intakes have dropped by 80% and there's still this ad budget sitting out there locked in at a million a month. You know, oh my God, versus, you know, what you and I do together, it's much more direct response where we can tune it up, tune it down, see what's working, what's not. And that just gives me peace of mind. Uh, and it allows me to not, you know, be sleepless at night staring at the ceiling thinking, oh my God, all my money's out there. Is the phone going to ring? Yeah, I hear you. And, and, you know, they all kind of work together for sure. You have that bigger brand, you get, it helps with the direct response when they do key it in for search engine optimization. And one of the things I'll mention about COVID is what other time in the past 10 to 20 years did your competitors just stop doing SEO? Right. (laughs) It's it's, it's a huge opportunity. So yeah, a hundred percent agree. David, one final question here. Do you have any advice for your fellow lawyers trying to grow a large successful practice? Yeah, I would. And this is, I hinted at this earlier. Um, you know, one of my guiding principles and, you know, Chris, you and I, I think we're wired very similar. So everything I've said really isn't my idea. I mean, I've taken an idea from this book, that book, and kind of made it my own uh, through a synthesis of just being a constant learner. But I think when, you, especially in personal injury, um, if you want to tell yourself one thing, kind of one daily affirmation, it's create, don't compete. Um, if you compete, your attention is on what other people are doing. And when I was getting started and I, there have been TV guys out there for 20, 30 years, I couldn't compete with that. And it was, it was paralyzing. It was paralyzing. Like, oh my God, how do I get started? And when I had that kind of revelation, like David, don't worry what they're doing. Just go heads down, create and build, create and build. If you trust that process, 
that's what's going to give you the result um, because you're focused on creating your thing, um, you know, with your personality, with your ideas, and you just got to have faith in that. And at the end of the day, that that's going to win. That, that's that's going to win for you. I love that. And that lends itself to innovation because you're thinking about how you can improve and how you can provide more value as opposed to, let me see what they're doing. And right. it's, you're always kind of lagging behind. Guys, we've been talking to David Bronze, elite personal injury attorney and founder of Bronze Law. David, where can people go to learn more about you? Yeah, you guys can go to my uh, website, bronzelaw.com. I, I have kind of a funky name. It's like Braun with the electric razor with an S on the end is what I tell everybody, Bronze, uh, Bronze Law. Dot com and learn all about us. We're also on Facebook at Bronze Law. Uh, we tend to be on Facebook, Insta a little bit. If you want to go look at pictures, Facebook has a little bit more content, uh, but go check us out. Thanks, David. Thanks for coming on. All the right, show. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for listening to the Rankings Podcast. We'll see you again next time and be sure to click subscribe to get future episodes.